Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you may be seated. You can be seated at home as well, by the way. I know I can't see what you're doing, but I assume you're sitting down again now. Uh, that's really cool. I, I, love, I love that we can actually partner together in doing something actually useful for uh, our friends, our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and in the Ukraine through the church in Hungary. That's where Budapest is, isn't it, Pastor Myro? Um, I actually kind of think we might need to raise an extra 25000 so we can fill the gas tank uh, with the current prices. Uh, I filled my car the other day and was like, oh, my God. Um, anyway, I know we don't have a huge amount of time this morning, and normally we would do some introductions and say hi, and this is, this is what's going on. I assume we know each other well enough that we can forgo that this morning. It, is, it really is a privilege to be here, though. Uh, the idea that um, you know, we get to come and communicate with each other and converse and spend time in each other's company, is, it, it, it's actually a big deal. Um, I, I love um, getting to hang out with Josh and Liz, and in fact, all of the Van Burkles uh, <laughs> are pretty, pretty fantastic. Um, and I, I just find them to be some of the most authentic people that I know. Um, so I, I just want to say that this morning because often we find ourselves taking for granted the people that are in our worlds. And, and that's true of everyone in the room, by the way, not just because Josh and Liz are pastors and, and Jared's a pastor and, and all this kind of thing. No, no, I, I actually want to talk to us a little bit about relationships this morning. I was kind of thinking that, man, you know what? I'm going to talk about the Trinity. Um, I... I I love that you guys have been going through the book of Acts for the last about five weeks. I've been in some conversations with Josh around what's going on in church here and what you've been doing, and I love that you've been spending. Uh, it's not just a fly-by-night kind of thing as well, where uh, Josh is telling me we may spend the whole rest of the year in the book of Acts, which has got to be one of the most exciting and insightful books in the whole Bible in regards to how we do life in relationship with the Holy Spirit. I love that last week, I, I watched the message last week where Josh began to break down the idea of the Trinity and, and presented that, you know, the, just the nucleus of that, that God is one in being, but three in persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we are invited. In fact, I would say we are created to partner in that relationship to explore, to experience, to participate what that is really like with every member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but, but I've, I've often found myself doing this in prayer or in worship or just in time where I'm, where I'm hanging out in what I would say the presence of God or being aware or becoming aware of. And I find myself in a conversation in my mind going, man, am I, have I got this right? Am I, am I spending enough time with each member of the Trinity. I, I, like I, I, I pray to the Father through the Son by the utterance of the Holy Spirit, and I think that's kind of right, and, and, but, I, but I love spending time in the presence, and I call that the Holy Spirit, and I, and I love having conversations with Jesus, and I love receiving the Father's love, but, but do they ever get jealous of each other, right? Am, am I ever putting too much onus on one over and above the other? And the answer to that is always unequivocally and absolutely no. We might think that, 
but I don't think that they ever think that. You know, I, I, I'm fascinated. I've, I've been doing a bit of kind of research on this for the last number of months from, from last year through to now in regards to our relationship with the Trinity and what that means and how we are activated in that. You know, I, I, and I love what the early church fathers would say, that the word for the, before we had the word Trinity, the word that they used to describe the Trinity was a Greek word called perichoresis, which literally interpreted means a circle dance, right? And that's the word they, they purposefully chose to describe and to give some imagery around the, the, the perfect relationship and, and that, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have, this, this circle dance. They would call it the divine dance, where there was no jealousy, there was no conflict, there, were, there, there, there was nothing going on that where they would continuously defer to the other, right? There was no idea of, man, you're better than this. I, I love the way Josh put it last week, that every member of the Trinity is equally God. Right? You, and you can't take away from that. We can't say that God is more, God the Father is more God than the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit is more the presence of God than Jesus is. That's, that, that's not how it operates. You know, our, in, in reading about this idea that the early church fathers of about the fourth century had around the perichoresis, the divine dance, the circle dance relationship between the Trinity, I found out that they also would say of the very first scripture in the Bible, and I love that Josh pulled this apart a little bit last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he was saying about in the beginning, God, Elohim, right, which is literally, more literally translated as gods than God, speaking of the plurality of the plurality. The, the, the multiplicitousness, the, the three-part reality of who our God is, right? And they would say in regards to that, that in the beginning was relationship. Relationship is so vitally important for us. I mean, we know, right, that the opposite of relationship would have to be isolation. And I, and I want you to think about this for a moment. Any time in your life where you've decided to isolate yourself and what the reason behind that isolation was, Right? And I would say 99.9% of the time, it's not for a good reason. We don't isolate ourselves. We don't cut ourselves off from the relationships of other people in our lives for any good reason. It's normally because of guilt or shame or some pain that we're dealing with or, or a degree of unforgiveness or anger or resentment towards somebody else. It's, it's, it's not a good reason that we choose to isolate ourselves. In, in reading Richard Raw's book, which is actually entitled The Divine Dance, he, he would say this about isolation, that in, in, in trying to isolate ourselves, all we're really doing is positioning ourselves to become the, 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 the unquestioned masters of our own shrinking kingdoms. And I, I, I wonder, right, if you think about times where you've hidden yourself away, where you've isolated yourself and cut yourself off from the relationships of those around you, that'd be your experience, right? Like suddenly I'm the master of my own shrink. My world's actually getting smaller and smaller because it's the relational connection of others that brings a bigness into our lives, particularly a relational connection with God and the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, I think probably like nothing else, all 
real or all authentic knowledge of God is participatory or experiential. Sure, we can read about it, we can amass knowledge, we can learn more and more about it. I, I, love, the, I love the sign language kind of word for learning. That's the way it was explained to me, it was like, I'm, I'm taking it all in, right? But, but it's not just about amassing head knowledge in our relationship with each member of the Trinity. It's got to be, and, and sure, I don't, I, I'm not saying that it's all got to be based on a feeling, but I am saying it, it, it is all, it, none of it can be devoid of feelings. It's an experiential participatory deal that we're invited into called relationship. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs is Proverbs 3 and verse 6. And it simply says that in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight, right? And, and, and when I read that, I used to kind of think that it means that, I, well, I've got to acknowledge that God's real, and, he, and he's existent, and he's somewhere present, and he's, and he's a reality. And, I, and it's kind of like I would wake up and say, yeah, no, I want to acknowledge, hi, God, hello, hello, oh. right? Like he's out there in some far and distant space. He's, he's, he's some distant king. But we know that he's an ever-present reality in our worlds. And it's not that this, this idea of in all of our ways that we should acknowledge him. It actually means to know him, right? The, the word that's translated there as acknowledge in Proverbs 3, 6 is the same word that's translated in Genesis 4 and verse 1 where Adam knew Eve and they conceived and bore a son. Right? It's actually speaking about an intimate relational connection and a depth of understanding and knowledge and perception that's participatory, that's reciprocal, that, that's experiential and, and, and everything that it is. And that's the, that's the idea of relationships, right? that we want to both know and to be known because that's what a relationship is. And we can't have, you know, we, we can't say that we know God in the same way that we know an object, right? Whether that's a plant or a flower or a chair or a car or even the engine of the car. And, and we might be a mechanic and have the ability to comprehend all of the inner workings of the engine. We might be able to strip it down and put it back together and make it go. We might be able to explain why spark plugs are necessary and why pist what the pistons do and why there's a crankshaft and a camshaft and why it needs to have oil and lubrication and why it has, has to have certain pressure tolerances for the bolts and nuts. And, but that, you know, like we might have an intimate relationship with an uh, idea of it but it doesn't mean that we have a relationship with it. We can't have an objective idea about who God is in the same way that we can about an object and say that it's a relationship, no matter how much knowledge we've amassed. To, to, to have an objective idea about something is to say, I've, got, I've formulated an opinion based on facts, but devoid of feelings. And that, It's just not a relationship. I would say that all of creation is a demonstration or a manifestation of relationship. And, and we find that science is proving this more and more to this day. That if you, if you disrupt the biodiversity of any particular area, it has an ongoing relational effect, effect with everything else that's going on in that space. 
And I understand that good theology and good God image are vitally important for us. Yes, it is appropriate and right to have good information about who God is and a good understanding and a, and a good you know, study of Scripture and all that kind of deal. But we're actually created to have an ever-increasing revelation of who he is, of every member of the Trinity, not just this static image of, well, this is what God looks like, and this is who the Holy Spirit is, and this is, and this is how Jesus operates. Like, well, yes, it's great to have a fundamental and good theological understanding of that, but it's an ongoing, ever-increasing, ever-deepening, intimate reality that we're invited to partake in and this divine dance where we're included as a dance partner in the reality of this relationship that's been in operation since before the beginning of time. You know, Scripture mentions that, that Moses is the only guy who, who ever knew God face to face. And it gives examples of that, Exodus 33 and verse 11, at the tender meeting, the, the cloud would come down and Moses would meet with God face to face. Numbers 12, verses 6 through 8, it, would talk, it tells the story of Aaron and Miriam coming and bringing an accusation against Moses, saying, well, is he the only guy who can lead? Right? And God turns up in and, and Moses' defense and says, you know, why weren't you afraid to bring an accusation against my servant Moses? Don't you know that with him I meet face to face or mouth to mouth? I speak to him clearly and not in riddles. I, and Moses seems to spend the entirety of his life trying to lead the whole of the Israelite people into something of that same experiential, intimate, relational reality that he has with the Father. But we know that we, even at the mountain, right, where, where God turns up, they're like, no, no, definitely not us. Moses, you go for us. And, and, and later on, Scripture reveals to us, Psalm 103 and verse 7, that, that it says of Moses that Moses knew God's ways. Right? Moses had an insight into God's character and his nature, into the reality of who he was, based on a relational connection. Right? He hides him in the cleft of a rock. I want to see your glory. I'm having conversations with the king. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm ever deepening my understanding and my, and, and my relational connection with him. You know, that's why we get the foundational kind of understanding of God's character and nature. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, right? That was a relational, intimate experience that Moses had because he wanted to know God's ways. It's in the same verse, Psalm 103 and verse 7, it says, so Moses knew God's ways, but the people of Israel only ever saw his deeds, Right? They, 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 they lived vicariously through Moses' relationship with God when they were wandering around in the wilderness. They stood at a distance and said, no, no, we just want to hear the stories. We want you to tell us. But that's not the, rela- that's not the reality that we're invited into. If, if, if all, our full experience of Christianity is turning up to church on a Sunday and having someone with a microphone tell us what we should believe and how we should believe it and, and what that should feel like and, and, and how that applies to our lives, whilst that's helpful information and, and revelatory at times, unless we're pursuing that level of experience and participation in our own lives, we're missing out on the reality of the relationship that we're invited to experience. I, I think the danger for us, right, and, and you'll, you'll know if this is true for your own life, the danger for us is that we actually prefer to have this, these, these, these kind of rules and regulations to measure our relig- religious practice by, 
right? Because like, it, it, we say, well, how much, how long, when, how often, what do I need to do to, to, to make it feel like I'm measuring up, right? It's, it's like we, we, we want to have these reassuring, repetitive rituals in place of intimate relationship because true relationship requires vulnerability, right? And, and I... I and if I could say this to the guys this morning, when we talk about true vulnerability, we're like, no, absolutely not, right? Like, you mean, like, crying and stuff? No. Boo! That's for pussies, right? Like, <laughs> it's not, right? Like, like, and we idolize the opposite. We like the strong, silent types. I love watching the cowboy movies, right? The guys who go out and get the bad guys, and, and, and no matter how many bandits they are, they deal with it by themselves without complaining. They, they ride back to town under the hot, broiling sun. They've been shot six times, but they don't complain. Instead of turning up in, in town and immediately visiting the doctor, they kick open the saloon doors and order some whiskey, Right? Like, like, and, and we go, yeah, we like the strength and the confidence and the courageousness. And we like the idea that we stand on our own two feet. And, 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 and yes, right, there, there, we definitely need to have some grit and some substance in our lives. But not to, to, to the exclusion of being able to show our emotions and having vulnerability in our relationships. Because we know that it's true vulnerability that opens the way for true relationships. Now, and if we, if, we, if we think about it this way, I want to try and land it with this. The idea that communion itself, when we take communion, right, communion is an act of absolute vulnerability where all the risk in the relationship has already been initiated by Christ. Right? Knowing, he, him knowing that we might ultimately, as, as humanity, reject or ridicule him for what he's done. Yet he exposed himself so totally and so completely anyway. And we see it play out in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where, where he takes his three closest friends and he says to them in his hour of need, would you, but guys, would you just watch with me for one hour and pray? Right? And, he, and he comes back and he finds them sleeping and he goes away and he says his soul is in anguish. And he comes back and he's like, guys, I've, I've invited you here because there's no one closer to me in this world than you three. Can you not even just watch with me for what? And, and he didn't hide that from us. This, this, this conversation he's having with the Father, God, no, if, if it's possible, could, could you take this cup from me? But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And, and I'm fascinated by that because I think that that gives us one of the most intimate and evocative insights into the inner workings of the Trinity. Where, where Jesus is saying, all of my trust, all of my hope, I'm, I'm submitting myself to the Father's will. And I'm letting humanity see the reality of that play out. It's a relationship that in Christ we are included in, in the divine dance. You know, there is no abuse, there's no deceit of any kind in the Trinitarian relationship. And I think for us sometimes we get so caught up in the righteousness or the rightness of our own ideals. Even in the smallest of things, that's not how you change a tire. You don't turn a light switch on like that. Right? Like, like whatever. Sometimes it's in the tiniest things. We allow this false perception of rightness and righteousness attach itself to us. 
and it affects the relationships of those around us. And I think God takes no delight right, in the rightness or the righteousness of our own ideals that, that belittle other people in our world sometimes. I, I wonder if this morning we could, even at home, if we could stand to our feet as we come to a close. You know, the idea is that pride gives no place to humility, but it's humility that, that, that allows space for the brightness of others to shine in our worlds. And I wonder if this morning we could be humble and vulnerable enough to think of someone else in our world that, that we're either out of relationship with or, or that we know that is out of relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they're, that they're not a participant in this divine dance that we're, that we're included in, in Christ. And instead, I mean, often at the end of a service, we would take time to lay hands on people and, and, and you know, do an altar call for a specific thing. But I wonder if this morning, as we're gathered in homes, and here we are gathered down here, if we could just take a moment. And, and I, I, I'd love it if we could continue this throughout the course of the week where we could think of someone in our world, and whether it's through, you know, some uh, relational conflict that we're out of relationship with, or specifically someone who's not yet in relationship with Christ, and pray for them. Be humble and vulnerable enough to say, you know what, God, you're not just my God, you're actually our Father. And that's the way that you've taught us to, to pray, our Father who art in heaven, our Father who is near to us as the very air that we're breathing. While we speak your grace and your goodness over those whom are in our worlds, even those whom we have some way or somehow fallen out of relationship with, and we lift them up in your name right now. And God, we see them being embraced in your arms of grace. We see your love and your kindness and your compassion pouring out upon them. We see your presence, Holy Spirit, wrapping around them. We see, them, we see you making known the reality of who you are in their worlds and of who they are in you. And we're asking for a, for a repair, for a, rip, for a reparation in the relationships that have been broken in their worlds. Father, we speak a health and a wholeness over them in your name right now. We ask that you would, they would hear your, your, your invitation to come ever nearer in their connection with you. And Father, we speak a forgiveness over them this morning in the wonderful name of Jesus. Can we say amen to that this morning, church? Amen. amen.